Our research shows that less than 1% of leads make it from the top all the way to the bottom. That means as demand marketers, we're getting it wrong 99% of the time. 99% of the time. There's gotta be a better way to do it. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX podcast. Claudia Tarico, editor of Demand Gen Report here, and I've got my co-host Kelly on the line as well. We hope you're having a great week and enjoying our new season so far. So Kelly, what do we have on the podcast today? Yes. So we are bringing things back to our B2BMX event in Arizona, and we're going to do a replay today from Forrester's Amy Hawthorne. Her session was all about 22 predictions, planning assumptions, and survey insights for demand leaders in 2022. And throughout her presentation, she covered just so many B2B trends. And she just, of course, backed them all by Forrester Research. Yeah, this was a really great session to kick off our breakout tracks at B2B MX. We actually had a bunch of Forrester analysts take the stage at each of our five tracks to set the tone for the remainder of the event. And in this specific presentation, Amy uncovered those 22 insights, trends, and survey results from 2021. And if you're a demand leader looking to put the buyer or customer first, you'll definitely want to pay attention to this. Amy really uncovered everything from marketing best practices in an ongoing pandemic, trends and insights for today's demand program and tactic mix, and even some recommendations for moving away from the MQL and instead focusing on the buying groups making B2B purchasing decisions. Yeah, I'm just so excited to revisit this session. So without further ado, let's roll that tape. So when I was asked to present, I thought to myself, what would I want from somebody like me at a conference like this? We talk to clients of all sizes across all industries. We've got ongoing research all the time about what's going on in the market. So I thought I would put together some insights, data points, predictions, and planning assumptions that we put together in 2021 for 2022. So thank you all for being here live and in person. Joke for Erica, thank you all for wearing hard pants as well. We are out of the office, so most likely we all have on pants with buttons and zippers that we aren't used to. So. Appreciate the effort and glad that you're all here today. <laughs> For sure. Okay, are we ready? Okay, a little bit about me. Here we go. We're gonna start with customer obsession. Forrester is all things customer obsession. We're gonna talk about why the lead doesn't work for us anymore. Buying groups for the win. If you've talked to anyone at Forrester, especially in our service, you absolutely know that we are moving away from leads and moving towards buying groups. How do our customers actually buy? Marketing tactics and signals. So what kinds of content are working, what tactics are working, and what are the challenges we're seeing, especially since we are still two years into a pandemic. Technology investments, interesting things here. And then overall marketing's contribution to revenue. If we're moving away from the lead, what are we then measuring and how are we showing what marketing is delivering to the business? Okay, first up, Forster helps businesses and technology leaders um, use customer obsession to accelerate growth. So customer obsession, it should be in everything, your decisions, your strategy, your operational um, execution. How do we make sure that that customer is at the forefront and we don't get turned inside out looking at what we're trying to achieve versus helping that customer get to a buying decision? Okay, so first study up, our research shows that customers are companies, organizations that are client or customer obsessed 
have more than a 2x revenue growth rate, profitability rate, customer retention rate, and employee engagement rate. So putting the customer at the forefront is winning. Next interesting point, though, and I'll share the presentation you'll get access to, too, as well, for sure. So nearly 35% of business decision makers say that putting that customer experience is top of their priority list, yet only 16% have got a group together that are prioritizing this effort and really trying to focus and shift their business. So we know it's winning. 35% say that it's a top priority for them, but less than 20% are actually doing anything about it. Interesting as well. I think we all like to say that we're customer obsessed, but when it gets to brass tacks on how we actually execute in our business, we get, continue to get wrapped around what is it that we are expected to deliver versus what the customer is expecting of us. Okay, so next up, this one's gonna be interactive too. So I'm gonna ask you questions to see if some of this relates and if these numbers work with what uh, you're seeing as well. Our research shows that 77% of revenue comes from existing customers. Would you all agree that's about right? Yes. Okay, great, especially in SaaS businesses. We want to retain them longer term. Okay, if 77% of our revenue comes from existing customers, only 42% of B2B marketers are actually have demand programs throughout the entire customer lifecycle. So what this says is a lot of times we're just pitching them over the fence and then hopefully they renew. Hopefully our sellers can cross sell and upsell. We can do more here as demand marketers. Okay, next. If you are familiar with Forrester or joined any of our summits last year, you'll know that we introduced a new waterfall. I'm sure all of you or most of you are familiar with the Series Decisions waterfall, the rainbow colored one, MQLs, TQLs, SQLs, all oriented around the lead. Now, the new waterfall is oriented around opportunities. Why? I'll give you a couple data points along the way, but wanted to set this up because we'll continue to refer back to it. In the new waterfall, we're tracking not only we candidates would be that acquisition number, but also current customers. Again, if we say 77% of our revenue comes from current customers, we have to factor that into not only our program planning, but also how we're measuring our contribution. So first line is target accounts. Important, especially for all of you that are ABM marketers or doing any sort of ABM. More important though than those target accounts are those opportunities inside of those accounts. Most of us can sell multiple solutions into an account, sometimes to the same group, sometimes to other groups. So how do we start to identify what are those opportunities that we have inside, especially our existing customers, and what are the additional opportunities we can go get? Next is detected. There's been an explosion of ABM and intent technology that are giving us insights and signals outside of our systems. So how are we leveraging some of those signals? Engaged, they've engaged in our programs. So this might've been the top of that uh, more colorful waterfall before. Prioritized are those that are going to sales or the BDRs, and then qualified and then through pipeline. The big things to take away here are, there's no mention of leads. There's no mention of leads. You'll probably hear it multiple times today. I'll say it multiple times. We believe the MQL is dead. Leads don't buy. They're a signal that there could be a buying cycle going on in that organization. So here, we're moving away from the lead and going a step down from the account and looking at those opportunities inside of those accounts. Okay, so why is the lead not working? Our research shows that less than 1% of leads make it from the top all the way to the bottom. That means as demand marketers, we're getting it wrong 99% of the time. 99% of the time. There's gotta be a better way to do it. Also interesting, there's typically less than one contact on average, one to less than one attached to an opportunity. 
So if we aren't actually putting those contacts on an opportunity, we, I see people shaking their head, we get no marketing attribution. We also don't know who those, um, that group are the individuals that are making decisions for each solution. So if we've got 40 people attached at the account level, no one on an opportunity, how do we know who and what solutions to market to and when? So interesting there, not surprising that we have to find a better way and move away from the lead. So since we talked a little bit about conversion rates, I think it's also interesting and something we should point out as well. If again, 77 plus percent of our business comes from existing customers, we have to also think about what those conversion rates look like. We all know that it's easier to hold on to a customer that we have than it is to go get a new one. So conversion rate from the top to the bottom on existing customers is much higher. We know that when we're trying to upsell or cross upsell, so existing uh, group that we already know, existing relationship, selling them additional solutions, that also is easier than going and winning a new customer and converts higher. Cross sell we define as um, in the same account, but a different buying group. So you may sell into IT and you may sell into marketing. Different people making those decisions, they also still convert higher than net new acquisition because we have a relationship in the account. So if we go back to acquisition, where most of us are focused, we see that conversion rate is really low and it makes a little bit more sense on how focusing on that single lead gets us less than 1% conversion to the bottom. Okay, next up. This is one of my favorite pieces. So we talked about how the lead is dead. Um, it's because in B2B organizations, and I think that most of you will agree as well, there's multiple people involved. We've been multi marketing to multiple personas for a long time. Our research shows that more than 83% a B2B buying decisions are made by a group of three or more. So if you're in a more transactional business where there's typically less than $5,000 ASP, then it does make sense that one or two people may be involved. Anything above that, there's someone else involved. There's an influencer, there's a decision maker, there's an executive that's got to sign off on this in some way. So how do we make sure that we're including those group, other additional group members into our programs as well? And not only just as additional personas, but really thinking about what their role is in these buying decision groups as well. If you're a VP of marketing, you have a very different vested interest in a marketing automation tool than you do in a CRM. You might just be an influencer if you're changing CRMs, but you're gonna be a decision maker on the marketing automation piece or involved in that group. Whoops. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges, not surprising, opportunity management. This was, um, again, not surprising to us, especially with the pandemic. Lots of people went back to basics and focusing on how do we hold on to the customers that we have today instead of focusing on going to get new ones. People were holding down what they had and really trying to think about how do we grow those existing relationships. So it makes sense that a demand marketer's focus might be a little bit different coming out of the, the we're still in the pandemic that we're in. Opportunity management, and then looking at those active buying groups. Again, if we're only looking for a lead, are we missing all of the other engagement or the other people that may be part of that buying decision? Okay, so changing the focus. We have to look past that lead. We also have to help enable those additional buying group members. So while we agree that they purchase as a team, only 31% say that they are good at persuading others in their organization to make a buying decision. So as the vendors or as the uh, providers looking to sell to these organizations, we have to do a better job of enabling that entire group, not just the one lead that our sellers think that they sell to or that they want to sell to. We only wanna to sell to the CIO. Okay, well the CIO doesn't buy anything 
ever. And so how do we make sure that we've got all the people that are surrounding that CIO engaged as well? Okay, so let's look at marketing tactics and content that goes along with it. 70% of B2B marketers will adopt an always-on digital engagement strategy in 2022. I think that makes sense. Like, we always want to have something out there. People are looking um, all the time and in different uh, delivery vehicles as well. Okay, so first up, this is one of the ones that Erica uh, liked. Actually, I'm going to go to the next slide and then I'll come back to this one. So first up. Let's look at, we get asked all the time, or we used to, because we're trying to divert from leads now, how many interactions does it take to move a lead from the top to the bottom? The answer is a lot, actually, a lot. And a lot of it we don't see. The bottom, the darker green on the bottom here are interactions that we don't see. They're self-guided interactions. What research are they doing? Where else are they going to look for information around solutions or the market like yours? And then the lighter green on the top are the interactions that they're actually having with your organization. So in smaller decisions, 23 total interactions, that's not per lead, it's for everyone in that group. So one to two in the independent. In the uh, middle column there, 26 interactions across a buying group of at least three or more. And then larger, larger enterprises where we're looking at big purchases, 30 interactions. Is this surprising? A little bit, it's high. It's high. But if you think about it being across multiple people, does it feel as scary? It typically feels really scary to those that are worried about attribution. Like how do we attribute all that we're doing to getting those uh, buyers moving? Okay, oops, nope, still gonna go back to that other one now. Now let's look at this. In what phase of their buyer's journey are they actually doing all of this research? So most of it is happening at education and solution and then it's selection less. The interesting part here is this has gone up to, this is across all buying groups or all buyers, 27 on average interactions up from 17 two years ago. So it's 10 more interactions across the group. That could mean a couple of things, right? We're all at home, we've got more time to research, look at, engage, as engage other people in our teams as well. We also are probably more conscious about the decisions that we're making because we're in uncertain times. So we've got more time to research those decisions. So overarching 27 on average interactions up from 17 two years ago. Okay, now let's go back to that. So what do those interactions look like? This is an eye chart, I'm gonna zoom in on it a little bit, but wanted to share a little bit about what content are people engaging in inside of our programs? I think it's very, very interesting, even at the education phase, number one is sales presentations. So I think that the takeaway here is we need modular sales presentations. How do we address the buyer's needs at each one of their phases versus the seller showing up with the same canned presentation every single time? They value it and it's the number one ranking here. The other piece that's really high there, I think we're calling out is in the education phase, video. We're all seeing more video than we've ever seen before. You'll notice your typical things that we would push through programs are down at the bottom. White papers, webinars, eBooks, and podcasts. Instead, our buyers are looking for not only how we stack up against other vendors and how we, our solution stacks up in those sales presentations, but also looking for case studies, third-party articles, and then going and surfing our website. My, my hand is cramping. Are these slides going to be available? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. We figured, I figured that was the case, too, and you don't want to have your elbows cramped trying to take pictures of all of them. Makes perfect sense. Okay, so this is at the education phase. Now let's look at the solution phase. You'll notice 
the top five are pretty much the same. The only thing different here is that video went down and our website went up a little bit more. So again, people, as they're looking for a solution, these are the kinds of content assets that they're looking for and engaging in. Okay, next up in the selection phase, not surprising, sales presentations lead the pack there. Um, still very important, but again, modular content here. The same thing you're talking to them at the education phase is not what they're looking for at the selection phase. So we as B2B demand marketers not only have to help with those figure out what those sales presentations look like, but more importantly, really identifying what that buying journey looks like and how these content assets help support that throughout. Are you all experiencing the same things? I'm guessing we're all still using a lot of the same kind of white paper type content. Are you transitioning and using some of the other stuff? I'm guessing video, yes. Case studies, yes, always winning. Okay. So next up, how are we tracking all of this engagement? So if we know that the lead doesn't buy, if we know that there's a group out looking for solutions, this is what it might look like. We've got the lead that maybe scored up in the middle there. Around that are other individuals that are in our database, maybe other personas that we've been marketing to that haven't hit that scoring threshold or haven't raised their hand yet. The next are who are the anonymous visitors visiting our site that again haven't um, identified themselves. And then finally, what's the third party um, intent or what's the third party uh, data that we're seeing that this account is looking for a solution like ours? If we're only focused on the lead, we are bypassing and leaving all of the rest of that context behind, all in expense for that one MQL. And what happens when that one MQL doesn't answer the phone or doesn't respond to your email? What typically happens is we disqualify it or we pass it back to marketing in some way. Just because that MQL didn't answer the phone doesn't mean they're not a good fit for you, doesn't mean that they're not in a buying cycle. It could just mean they're busy. So how do we start to add that additional buying group context Again, back to that opportunity waterfall, connecting those additional people to that opportunity. So when it's going to the BDRs or going to sales, they have all the context that we as marketing have blood, sweat, and tears tried to get. How do we go and acquire the context? How do we engage them? And are we leaving a lot of that context behind an expense for the MQL? My guess is yes. How many people are still measured and focused on the MQL? Okay, great, we have a takeaway for you. It's dead, you got something new. <laughs> um, okay, so biggest challenges when implementing tactics. What does it look like? Tactic mix planning, not surprising, 27 interactions across multiple people. How do we make sure that we are hitting all of the right messages with the right people at the right times? It would make sense that this would be um, a challenge. Budget, always a challenge, we always want more. Aligning with sales, this one I wanted to, specifically call out as well. Um, as we start to look at some of the technology pieces next, this is more important than it ever has been before. But also, as we're all orienting and working opportunities where sellers have always worked, it's important that they have an understanding of what we're adding to those opportunities and what they're going to get. They're getting the additional people, they're getting the additional context versus having to go get that themselves. So I'd imagine that getting that alignment is the challenge as well. Technology limitations. We've got more technology than we've ever had before. So this one was super interesting to me. Is it that we don't have enough? Is it not integrated? What are we doing with all of the technology? Okay, so next up. We predict that marketing budgets will include 20 or 25% of marketing budgets will come for, or will be for technology going forward. So how does that feel? 
Does that feel about what you're spending? Do you feel like you need more, less? How many people feel like they're spending that much? Yes? No one. Nobody has technology. Cool. Um, another takeaway, go get you some. Okay, first up, what are people spending money on or what are they looking for with technology? 40% say they're looking for to better understand and serve their buyers. This goes back to how do we make sure that we are customer obsessed? How do we make sure we understand who's making those buying decisions? And then how do we leverage technology and automation to help support that as well? So what are we using? I actually write research around this, so this part is super fascinating to me. We've got um, sales engagement platforms are taking off the likes of SalesLoft, outreach, things like that, with overlapping capabilities on marketing automation. So in the next three years, we will have 58% of people will have sales engagement platforms and 71% will have marketing automation platforms across all industries. This requires coordination. We can't all be email spamming our prospects and customers at the same time. So figuring out a strategy for when do we use what tool, what kinds of communications, and who's driving that process is really important, especially as, again, if we're trying to put that customer at the forefront, sales is emailing them through a sales engagement tool, BDRs are emailing them, and then marketing's got ongoing nurture. You can imagine that doesn't feel great. We as consumers get flustered when someone over-emails us. You can imagine the same as in a business scenario as well. So sales engagement, marketing automation continue to evolve, but also have a lot of overlapping capabilities. You need a plan. Next up, this one I found super fascinating and interesting. In the next three years, 79, almost 80% of you will be using chat of some sort or intelligent virtual agents. Okay, how many people use chat today? Okay, might be spot on, super interesting. Um, I, next one is, who's actually doing the transcript or writing those scripts for um, your chat? Does this resonate? I'm guessing a lot of you do because you're demand marketers as well. So 43% demand marketers, customer support, that makes sense for some chat as well. Interesting content marketing and digital marketing as well. So we've got a variety of different teams that are working on those chat scripts that are also engaging with your prospects and buyers. Are those messages coordinated with all of the other programs that might be going out of the various different tools? It's important to understand that as well, especially when they're going to land back on your destination and chat with someone. Okay, next, events. So the world of events has changed. Again, we're glad we're all here in person, super exciting. Um, but we, we believe and predict that virtual and hybrid events will not go away. So not everyone is comfortable being out yet. Um, you get a different experience in a virtual event too. I don't have to get up and leave, travel for a day, be away from my desk. But here are the top challenges that B2B marketers are experiencing with virtual events. Delivering memorable experiences for both. So if you're doing a hybrid event, how do you make sure the people online aren't left out? Networking, things like that. Um, and then how do you make that not overly virtual for those that are trying to experience it in person? Networking opportunities. We've all been in a virtual event before. It's hard to network in a virtual event. It's weird. We're on chat going back and forth. You can't see or people's expressions or tone. So that part isn't as rewarding for us. And then getting um, attendees to fully engage. I know at Forrester, we're experiencing um, a lot of this and are transitioning as well. As we look to go back into live events, we believe there'll be a place for hybrid events, but how do we make sure that we are delivering that same experience that we get in a live event in these virtual events so you get the same takeaways? Okay, this is probably my favorite part. So if the lead is dead and we've got more interactions than ever before, what does measurement look like? 
how are we measuring what we are contributing back to revenue? We've all been asked, what did that webinar do for us? How many new opportunities did we get from this event? How many people came out of our nurture program? And if you're like me, I die a little inside every time I would get asked because I knew that it wasn't just one thing. And I knew the very follow on question would be, if I said the webinar went well, someone, and it happened in my last gig, well, we should do a webinar every other week then, if those are what's converting people. I see a lot of you shaking your heads, like you feel this, you know, right? No, that's not the answer. Now you can go back and say, it's 27 interactions, we cannot do 27 webinars in a month, the end. So, what are we measuring going forward? Oh, that was that money slide. Okay, let's start here. First of all, we know buying has changed. I've talked a lot about that when we've been up here today. So no longer buying decisions made from the top down. There's a group of people. All of you are probably part of buying committees in some way for solutions um, or technology at your companies. So buying complexity has increased. Reps don't own the relationships anymore. It's not a situation where we just throw things over the fence and hope it works out and then try to track it later. We're marketing from the top to the bottom in the waterfall now. We've got digital marketing going on. We've got retargeting going on when they're in pipeline. We've got nurture going on and engagement programs trying to engage those other personas. So it's not a just we're handing it over the fence and move on to the next one anymore. Information is no longer controlled by the sellers. It can't be. Our buyers, we even as consumers, we expect some transparency. We expect our experiences to be coordinated. We expect when we go to uh, the website for what we're gonna get back looks like it and it matches. So making sure that we are transparent, open, and there's some consistency in what all of our different assets and vehicles look like. And then abrupt handoffs. I commented on that already. We're not handing, just flipping things over the wall anymore. We're still all working to build out and help that opportunity get to a close, enabling those buyers to make a decision. So our buyers expect a fluid and integrated experience. Okay, so now back out of this, sorry that. Here's the big prediction. In 2022, less than 33% of marketing dashboards will include a marketing sourced metric. So how many of you all have marketing source metrics that you're held to today? A lot of us, right? A lot of us. And it's, it's a problem. Attribution is a problem. What happens if we pass to a BDR and they don't call me the MQL, they call the lady sitting next to me. Do they get credit for that? Do I get credit for that? It's messy. And so instead, we have to get to a, a better metric that helps show what marketing is doing to help enable those buyers get there and ultimately increase our win rates. Okay, you're gonna see me build this again, sorry. Okay, so then what does that look like? First, we have to show that we're present. We have to show that of those, if you think back to that waterfall, of those target accounts that we're going after, are we engaging the people in those accounts? Are we engaging our buying group members? Are we engaging multiple people? How are we showing that we are actually getting engagement and interactions inside of our target accounts? Next is percentage of pipeline that had a minimum number of marketing interactions on it. So we know that there's zero interactions when a seller um, finds an opportunity. And then there's a variety of marketing interactions on the rest of the opportunities. It could be we found one, we sourced it at a webinar, or we see that they've been in nurture and various different programs throughout. Instead, how do we start to look at what are those minimum number of interactions to where we say that we've actually influenced that deal? It's not just at the top, it's all the way through. Are we engaging those additional buying group members? Are the people that are making a decision, are they still engaging with our marketing programs as well? And then what is that minimum threshold we wanna set it at? So if it is 27, like is it 12 for our organization? Do we say that if we've had 12 interactions, 
across the entire group that we have created a, a meaningful experience and helped to win that. So a little bit, not as tightly tied down to that MQL, but when half of the interactions are see, things we're not seeing, we have to look at it in a different way. Okay, next up. Is the inter are the interactions that we are providing and uh, our prospects are engaging with, are they helping us win deals? Are we getting people there faster? Are we getting more people to close if we can see that they've interacted with our programs? So if we know that, let's say we say 12, 12 interactions is gonna be our minimum threshold. Of all of those opportunities that had 12 interactions, do we win more than if they had less than 12? So what is that interaction kind of threshold that says marketing is actually contributing to helping us um, move opportunities? And then finally, how do we look at what our budget is and how is that, does that map to what that contribution is? Is our budget helping us get that additional lift and can we use that as a lever because we've got the rest of the things in place to then increase that lift going forward? Make sense? Completely different. It is not a marketing source or an influenced. Hopefully it gets us away from fussing with our other peers in the revenue engine. Instead, it's how do we start to make sure that we've got meaningful interactions that we can track at the opportunity level that aren't getting lost in our leads database, waiting for that next person to raise their hand and say that they want to talk to us. And then finally, our point of view on driving demand, buying groups, as I said, are in the middle of everything that we do. We have to, if we are going to truly align to the way our customers buy, we have to put them in the center of all that we do. And it's not just that one lead. It's not just the one person that your seller wants to talk to. It's that entire group. How are we engaging them? And are we in, how are we engaging them through various marketing approaches? Are we taking an ABM one-to-one -one approach? Or is this a broader vertical approach, for example? Really getting specific on what those plays look like. What are the different signals? I showed you kind of the radar screen. What are the different signals that we're looking for? How are we capturing that? And then ultimately potentially wrapping those into our scoring models so that we've got intent along with behavior, along with account attributes, all scoring to help prioritize opportunities for our BDRs and our sellers. Program plays, what are the different plays? What tools are they coming out of? Are we running a cadence out of SalesLoft and then a nurture program out of Marketo? And then what is the goal for each of those? How do they interlock and how do we pass off in between? Opportunity types, more important than ever, all of you, most of you agreed that most of your revenue comes from existing customers. So we cannot, we can't not see that anymore and have to really start to think about what are those opportunities that we have? Where do we have white space? And is it easier to go win those additional opportunities than it is to go win net new logos all the time? Right now, most marketing budgets are 70% acquisition and 30% customer. We predict by the end of 22, um, it will be 50% each spent on net new acquisition and customer marketing. And by 2025, that 70% will be focused of our marketing budget resources and programs will be focused on those customer relationships with 30% on acquisition. All right, folks, that is a wrap on Amy Hawthorne. She explained that today's B2B buyers just, they want to be heard, known, and understood, which requires B2B demand leaders to establish new foundations that meet these expectations and help sustain your pipeline momentum. So I really hope that Amy's insights were helpful for you as you plan your buyer and customer first strategies throughout the rest of this year. So thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episodes. 
We're available on any podcast player of your choice. And of course, you can always catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from. Thanks so much for joining us on the B2BMX podcast today. We'll catch you all next week.